0: Just after a few years of marriage, filled with disagreements and strife, a young couple decided the only way to save their marriage was to try counseling. Things had slipped from bad to worse as the months passed, turning their marriage into a marathon of misery. They had been in each other's throats for so long that counseling seemed like their only hope. He was incredibly insensitive and dull while she was hyperactive and dominant. When they arrived at the office, the counselor jumped right in and opened the floor for discussion. Well, he began, what seems to be the problem? Immediately, the husband slumped in his chair and assumed A defeated posture. He stared down at the carpet and only managed to shrug his shoulders. He had nothing to say. In contrast, his wife didn't hold back. Talking 90 miles an hour, describing all the wrongs within their marriage, and every wrong could be traced back to her husband. After 15 minutes of listening to the nonstop wife, the counselor stood up without saying a word walked over to her, and while she was still in mid-sentence, picked her up by her shoulders, gave her a big hug, passionately kissed her, then sat her back down. She sat there in stunned silence. The counselor looked over at her husband who was staring in disbelief. He then said to the husband, listen to me, your wife needs that at least twice a week, every week. (laughs) The husband scratched his head and then replied, well, I guess I could bring her here on Tuesdays and Thursdays. (laughs) That was funny, wasn't it? (laughs) I'm not sure where I would begin with this couple, quite frankly. But I think the Apostle Paul might have a good idea. For the last few weeks, Paul has been telling the Colossian believers, and us as well, that because we died with Christ and are made alive in Him, we are to put off the old, sinful, self-centered person that we used to be, and we're to put on the duds. We're to put on the virtues which are consistent with who we are in Jesus Christ. Virtues which correspond to our new life and our new character. Virtues that are revealed in how we relate to one another. Now, continuing with Paul's train of thought, This morning, He's going to take us where the rubber meets the road. We're going into the home. Yay! We're going into the home. It's been said that home is where the heart is. Have you heard that? home is where the heart is and that may be true. But I'm going to take it a little bit further by saying how we live at home reveals the true reality of our hearts. How we live at home reveals the true reality of our hearts. So, if you have your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3, and we will pick up where we left off, beginning with verse 18. I'm just watching the facial expressions, just kind of getting a sense of the place. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. (laughs) Yes, right. (laughs) Yeah, I can man up now. Yeah, husbands. These two verses go together. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Now before we dive into these verses and I cut my own throat, I need to give you some context. In the days of the early church, there were three predominant cultures in society. Okay? There was the Greek culture, the Jewish culture, and the Roman culture. And in each of these cultures all extremely male-dominated, there was a very low opinion of women, of wives. For example, in the Jewish culture, I think this little prayer... Made each morning by many Jewish men, kind of sums it up for us. God, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. A woman had the status of a second-class citizen. Wives were treated just a little better than servants. And according to their man-made laws, a woman was a possession owned by her husband in the same way he owned sheep and goats. As a woman, as a wife, she had little to no rights whatsoever. In the Greek culture... A wife was considered the tool of a man. A tool. And the sign of a good wife was that she must see as little, hear as little, and ask as little as possible. A wife was to remain indoors. She had no independence. She had no mind of her own. And her role was simply to bear children and to keep house. That's it. That's it. In the Roman culture, The man had absolute control over his wife and children. Absolute control. When a woman was under the rule of her father, the father had all power over her to include the power of life and death. With no questions asked. And when she married, that power was transferred from the father to the husband. Even the power of life and death. No questions asked. So as you can see, in any culture of that day, a woman was in A very difficult spot. But then Jesus comes along. And he challenges the cultural norms. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus was respectful and compassionate towards women. He showed equality. By teaching women alongside men when the other teachers of his day excluded women from men. And in the Christian movement, which came after him, the value of women was greatly elevated. Women were to be treated with dignity as children of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. The family became a fixture within this new Christian movement. And the marriage relationship was the pattern of the church. Now having said all of that, put yourself in the shoes of a Christian woman in those days. How conflicting and confusing It must have been to have been a wife living in a society whose opinion regarding women was vastly different from what Jesus had taught and modeled. And on top of that, think of this. It was not uncommon for the wife to come to Christ before her husband. And as you might imagine, this created a significant issue for these wives because a husband expected his wife to follow his customs and his religious practices. This is what the Christian wives Faced, They were confused. They needed some godly guidance. And the guidance that Paul gives here is the same guidance he gives to the Ephesians. It's the same guidance that the Apostle Peter gave in his letter. And it's the same guidance that is intended for us. Even today. In verse 18. Paul says, wives are to be subject to their husbands. Now, before we get into the wording, I want to make a general observation. As you can see, what is said here specifically pertains to the relationship between a wife and her husband and does not apply to men and women in general. In other words, a woman can run a company and men can work for her. In my previous careers, and I've had two of them, Some of my very best supervisors were women. And I was honored to work for them. And also, young ladies, if you are dating someone and the guy says this applies to you, he is absolutely wrong. That's right. You can tell Bob. <laughs> Amen. So yeah, okay. Amen. <laughs> Way to go, Travis. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, this is this is specifically targeted to wives and their husbands. Period. Got that? Okay. Let's tackle that one word, which is probably the most hated word among women, maybe because it's the most distorted word among men. I get an amen, Travis? (laughs) The word is subject or submit, depending on your translation. And husbands, please notice, it's on the board. Please notice. That Paul does not use the word obey here. Paul could have. In fact, he will use the word obey when he gets to children, obey your parents. And he will use that word when he gets to slaves, obey your masters. But here he uses an entirely different Greek word. It's hupotasso. Hupotasso. Which means to place under or to rank under like a military rank. Or to arrange in an orderly fashion. Okay? To place under, to rank under, or to arrange in an orderly fashion. If you recall back in chapter 1, Paul told us that Jesus is the creator of all things. Remember that? He told us that Jesus is the sustainer of all things. And He holds all things together in their proper place. Jesus gives order to the universe. That's how it functions. That's how He has designed it. And his grand design for the universe funnels all the way down to the family. Even your family. So when Paul uses the word hupotasso, when he says Wives, be subject to your husbands. This has to do with order and function within a family. In the eyes of God, and now listen to this, In the eyes of God, a man and a woman are considered equal in Christ. In the eyes of God, a man and a woman are considered equal in Christ. Equal. But be that may, out of respect and honor, the wife is to willingly, willingly place herself under the leadership of her husband. Her imperfect. This is God's design. For the sake of order and function within a family, wives are to place themselves under the leadership of their husbands. And it's important to point out that nowhere does this suggest that wives are inferior to their husbands husbands. Paul does not say that husbands hear the Lord better than their wives. He does not claim the husband is closer to the Lord than his wife. Paul does not imply That wives are lacking in character or wisdom or in talents or abilities. Instead, wives have simply been given a role in the family that places them under the leadership of their husband. So that the two of them work together as one. As an act of respect and honor between equals. As an act of honor and respect between equals, wives are to submit to their husbands as long as that submission does not violate God's word. And husbands... We can go behind the church afterwards if we need to. And husbands, nowhere in the Bible, nowhere, are you told to bully and dominate your wives into submission. That's not your role. Your wife, is not your doormat. And sadly, many husbands, many Christian husbands, think they can walk all over their wives as if it is their God-given right. And it is not. The wife's submission to her husband is to be voluntary. It's on her to let you lead her. It's on her to follow your lead. And here's why she should. Look at the last part of verse 18. Where Paul says, As is fitting in the Lord. That word fitting speaks to actions that are due to someone. And in this verse, it's actions that are due to the Lord. And when compared to other passages, I think what Paul is saying is this. Now hear me, wives. Wives. A wife's submission to her husband, in reality, is an act of worship and service that is rightfully due to the Lord. In other words, she is not only submitting to her husband, she is submitting to the Lord himself. Now, Paul's not done. I told you 18 and 19 go together. Look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. On its own, at first glance, This verse sounds pretty easy. I just got to love my wife, right? Hey, baby. What you doing? (laughs) But let's connect this passage to some other words by Paul. He gave to the Ephesian believers. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul says this. Very similar. Husbands, love your wives. Oh, here we go. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That changes things a bit, doesn't it? Husbands, you are to love your wives just like Jesus loves the church. Think about that for a moment. Think about that. How did Jesus... Love the church. We know that Jesus laid down his life, so that means a husband is to love his wife sacrificially. Right? We know that. Jesus suffered and carried a cross to the hill of Golgotha. You know the story. And there he was crucified. So that we might have life. Can you agree to that? So husband, if need be, You are to love by taking the hardest and the worst road for yourself so that your wife receives the greatest benefit. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what He did? He took the hardest road. The worst road for himself so that we might receive the benefit. Am I right? Yes. That's what Jesus did. Husband, you get to sacrifice your life for the sake of your wife. You lead. For her sake, you get to love in a way that helps and benefits her. You know what brings her joy, you know what brings her peace, you know she is different. You know these things, but you love her and you lead her sacrificially. You do what is best for her just as Jesus did what was best for you. And then Paul adds, and he needs to add this, don't let your sacrifice produce anger and resentfulness in you. Liz not over there (laughs) Yeah, yeah Liz Curtis Higgs Liz Curtis Higgs was one of the best known disc jockeys in America. And she lived quite a wild lifestyle. In fact, one day, Howard Stern, who was the morning show host, told Liz, who covered the evening show, that she needed to clean up her act. That's saying something coming from Howard Stern. Am I right? Now Liz had been burned by so many men. And her heart had been broken. She became a militant feminist. But she had a Christian friend kept inviting her to church. So one day after a long, long time, she said, okay, I'll go to church with you this one time, one time only. So she went to church this one time with her friend. And that week, the pastor just so happened to be teaching on the Bible verse that says, Wives, submit to your husbands. (laughs) Not exactly a good Bible verse for a, a militant feminist. Well, she got a little uptight. A little ticked. A little angry. But she continued to listen. And she heard the next part. Husbands, love your wives. The pastor explained this involved the sacrifice of the husband for his wife. The husband was to give himself for his wife just as Jesus sacrificed himself for the church and died for her who is asked to give up their life the wife no the husband the husband liz heard that part and she leaned over to her friend and said with a little cynicism I'd gladly give myself to any man if I knew he would die for me. And her friend leaned over and said, Liz, there is a man who loved you enough to die for you. His name is Jesus Christ. That's how much he loves you. And it was not long after that Liz dropped her guard, surrendered her life to God in love, and became a believer. Today, she is a well-known Christian author and speaker. You see, the measure of a husband's love for his wife is seen in his acts of sacrifice and concern for her happiness and her welfare and her benefit. And the husband who loves his wife in this way will likely have a wife who has very little trouble in letting her husband lead. Am I right? Okay, let's pick on the kids. Beginning with verse 20, Paul says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. In verse 20, Paul is speaking to kids directly. Assuming that they are old enough to understand what he's saying. And they are still living at home. He says to them, You are to be obedient to your parents in all things. Now this does not recognize issues such as child abuse. It does not recognize issues such as immorality or something contrary to God's Word. So wisdom is needed here. And kids might actually need help. But as a general rule, as a general rule, kids obey your parents your imperfect parents. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Paul continues and tells fathers. This includes mothers too, but I think it's weighted towards the fathers. Okay? And Paul says not to exasperate your kids. Now what does that mean? In a nutshell, parents are told not to make it so difficult for your kids to obey you. Parents can become so critical And so demanding, and I know this as a parent, I can admit to that. Parents can be so critical and so demanding that kids just can't live up to their unreasonable expectations. And unfortunately, it can produce discouragement and resentment and rebellion. Instead, parents must relate to their kids in the way the Lord relates to them. So parents, teach your kids. Pray with them. Listen to them. Let them experience your approval and grace. Correct them when necessary. Make time for them. And show, oh, here, listen to this. And show them God's design for the family beginning with your marriage. Parents, you are to model in your marriage what love and honor and respect and sacrifice looks like in a relationship. a relationship that is pleasing to the Lord. Next, Paul moves to slaves and masters. And beginning with verse 22, he says, Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartedly as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of an inheritance. It is the Lord Christ Whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Now I'm going to continue with verse 1 of chapter 4. They really go together. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Okay. <clears throat> I need to give you some context here. In those days, slavery was an integral part of society. It was an everyday reality. It impacted all walks of life and it included all types of people historians tell us that in the Roman empire there were about 660 million slaves half of the roman population were slaves 60 million people who had absolutely no rights. People who were considered nothing but things. Things which could talk. And in the context here, it seems that the slaves that Paul is referring to are those who held positions in the home. As domestic servants. So we're still in the context of a household. These slaves attended church. And like the women, they too were trying to sort out their personal roles and responsibilities inside and outside the church. Some slaves may have thought that their new spiritual freedom in Christ had somehow, some way, guaranteed their personal freedom as slaves, whereby they could ignore their master's. And in some cases, it was quite possible that the master and the slave attended the same church. And to put a twist on that, a slave could be a leader in the church and the master a member of it. This was a new dynamic involving roles inside and outside the church. And there was the potential for a lot of confusion and even more abuse. So Paul in his guidance explains to the slaves that their status outside the church did not change. If they were slaves before they came to Christ, they were still slaves who were still obligated to work wholeheartedly for their masters. Just as if they were working for the Lord. And as for the masters, they were reminded that they too have a master. A master in heaven who sees absolutely everything. Nothing is hidden from him. Now, how are we to relate with this? Most commentators draw a comparison... of the slave and the master relationship to that of an employee and the employer. And I can see why they do that. There are some similarities in that relationship, but there are some major differences as well. Keep in mind that masters had total control and authority over the lives of their slaves. They were considered property. So unlike us, slaves couldn't give a two-week notice so they could go find employment somewhere else. There was no No labor and industry employment standards. They had no HR department. There was no grievance process. They couldn't go anywhere until the master determined their obligation was satisfied. For they were slaves, not employees. So for me, the context given to us by Paul about slaves and masters is not easily relatable, at least to me. However, there are some principles that we can apply. Some principles. For for an employee, the principle is clear. We are to do as we are instructed to do, giving it our all, even when the boss is not watching. Hands down, a Christian worker ought to be the best worker on the job. Hands down. The best worker on the job because ultimately they are working for the Lord. For employers. Paul says you are accountable to be just, just in your expectations, and just in your corrective action. And not only that, you are to be fair. Fair in your decisions. Fair in your evaluations. Fair in your assignments. And fair in your wages and benefits. So I know I covered a lot this morning. Related to God's design for the home. But I want to take you back to what I said at the beginning. How we live at home reveals the true reality of our hearts. I have heard Christian men say, well, I'm the king of my castle. But that's just stupid when you think about it. It's absolutely stupid when you think about it. Christ is the only king. And he is to be the king in your marriage, the king in your family, the king in your relationships, and the king in your work. So the question I leave with you this morning. Does the king have your heart? Does the king have your heart? For the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. At least for now. I might hear about it later. But Father, Your Word is true. Yes, it can be cutting, and it can be convicting. But it's absolutely 100% true. It was true back in Paul's day, and it is absolutely just as true in our day. So Father, help us to be people in Your Word and people of Your Word. And Father, help us to live it out in the home. In the home. I pray, Lord God, that it's in the home you would be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if need be, I can go out back behind the church later if that helps anybody. And I know I gave you a lot this morning. I know that. Maybe too much. But ultimately, all of it comes back to Jesus Christ. It all comes back to Jesus Christ. You are the Lord. And so I'm going to follow your lead, Lord. I'm going to follow you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Whatever you do, that's what I want to do. I'm going to follow your lead. Lord, I know you love me more than I could ever know. And you proved it. You proved it on a terrible day. You walked on a lonely road, you carried your cross. You were whipped, and you were scourged, beaten to a bloody pulp, taken to the hill, nails driven in your hands and feet, and you were crucified. His ultimate act of love. He loves me. He loves you. So what does that mean for you? Children. Obey your parents. We've talked about this before. God has a love language. God has a love language. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Obey me. His love language is obedience. It all comes back to Jesus. All of it. I can be gracious and merciful and loving and patient with you because he is gracious and loving and patient and forgiving to me. And it goes for all of you goes for all of you. Now maybe you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Oh boy, give me the chance to talk with you about Him. Just to share His love to you. I'd love to talk to you about Him. Maybe you're looking for a church home. Come see me. Let me know. Or maybe you just need Prayer. You just need some prayer. I'd love to pray with you. However, the Lord leads you, just be obedient and respond. That's all I'm asking. Larry?